Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Monday, and so it was a busy week. Let me uh, say before I proceed, I was going to do the history part, um, which is being sponsored by a good friend of this podcast from Des Moines, Iowa, from Eric Smith. So thank you very much, appreciate it. And actually, need we don't have any sponsors for the rest of the week, so maybe somebody will step forward. Um, I was going to do part two of Shemto and Shemto. And then I was thinking about it, and actually it's a very interesting and complicated and twisted story with a lot of unexpected uh, endings. And then I said, this is too uh, good just to use for a podcast, I'm going to take it on the road. So I'm going to withdraw that for now, and hopefully I'll uh, give a talk on that in uh, when I go into Scon Residence in uh, July in uh, Teaneck. I may be going somewhere else also in the summer, we'll see. So I'm uh, putting that on, taking out of the uh, podcast shelf and putting it on the SIR shelf. But since I'm holding in mentally, I was thinking about uh, Shem Tobes and all that, um, and Spain in the 15th century, of which so little is known. Really, people don't know much about the 15th century. There's a lot of stuff missing, because when they kicked the Jews out, they destroyed a ton of stuff. The guy in Portugal got worse. So um, my attention was drawn to this, and uh, I'm going to talk about someone else, not Shem Tov, although they all, have, they all have to do with each other, sort of. And uh, was an important figure in the 15th century in Spain. Uh, but this time I'll try to do a positive one, and that's Avram Benvenisti, who is like one of the heroes, the unsung heroes. I bet you never heard of him. Uh, in Spain, especially after the uh, devastating social commentary of Shlomo Lami that I told you about the other day, when he calls a spade a spade, and the way, the way, the way things were, uh, not everybody was bad, just most. Not all the Jews were bad, just most. Uh, and one of the good guys was uh, one of the richy riches who was in the good side of things. Not everybody's rich is bad, just usually it's that way. But Lavdafka always. And a famous example of what we call the noble court Jew, the Jews who used their power and influence uh, in a positive way to help the other Jews. The outstanding example, and one of the outstanding examples in history, and certainly in 15th century in Spain, was Abraham Benvenisti. Uh, the Benvenisti family, you've heard it before, you know, what's called Chaim Benvenisti is later in the 1600s as the, uh, what do you call, Knesset Agdola, you know, it's a famous name. Sephardi. So, uh, but before I, but, um, and he was in the, in the early 1400s, it was under him that the Jews started to recover when the government's and political situation changed after 30 years of bad news that I was talking about and to which I'll return in the future. Uh, and he was associated with a, a greater stability in the government. Um, and he was buddies with the prime minister, Alvaro de Luna, the famous person in Spanish history in the time of King John II, Juan. And uh, has, he's entered... 
uh, Jewish lore, this millionaire. And that's what I wanted to read to you today. Because uh, one of the things I've been doing lately in podcasts is sharing some classic pieces of Jewish historiography, which our ancestors used to read by the fireside in their homes back in Europe hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Doesn't mean that what I'm about to read you is all historically true. It never is. But parts of it are, and it's a very famous story. And it might possibly, I mean, it's not, it's not really, but uh, it's famous and it's associated with the Shevet Yehuda, which is one of the famous Jewish history books. I didn't say it's all accurate, I did not say that, but it's one of the classics, uh, the quote-unquote from history books, that the Chavetz Chaim says you're allowed to read on Shabbos. <laughs> so even though you're not allowed to read history books, technically, according to the Shulchan Aruch, on Shabbos, but the, if it's a from book and so if it, if it gives you a musr and things of that nature, then you can. And one of them, which is specifically mentioned, you're allowed to read is the Sheva Yehuda, which is the book that has all the troubles of 1492. Tells you about all the sufferings of the Jews in 1492. But really, it's it's a lot more than that. And the Sheva Yehuda was a, was a favorite reading material, like I say, back in the winter in Eastern Europe when, uh, you know, it was freezing outside and everybody's huddling around the fire and the father or the grandfather reads stories to the kids and things like that. And uh, the, the Shev Yehuda is a golden oldie. And uh, it's highly imaginative. The trouble is, you know, how accurate is everything. But let's abandon that standard and talk about what is what famous stories uh, were read in Jewish history. And one of them, not the only one, of course, was the story of Abraham Benbenisti and the blood libel. Okay? And it's not as simple as you think, that it's like, you notice it's not an art school Pirkei story or something like that, uh, but but it, it has traces of that. And it goes in different directions, which is very interesting, and many historians have, have zeroed on this, in terms of the guy, whoever it is that wrote this, several generations of one family wrote the Sheva Yehuda. And remember, our hero is a goody-goody. He's a richie rich who's a chatzran. He's a court Jew. I don't mean a legal court. I mean the royal court. So he's somebody who uh, was in favor with the king, with the government, as we'd say today. Why that's the case, I think I'll say for next time. But um, the story itself, so you'll have a, a famous example of, of, of classic Jewish historiography, uh, has to do with a blood libel in Ishika, which is a town in northern Spain. And there was a blood libel over there. And it seems that our hero did get the guy off, but I'm not 100% sure if they're basing it on this story or not. And the names are always not exactly correct because these are stories told over in generation after generation. And over the course of time, sometimes the, the, um, the names are wrong. And so they talk about the king being Alfonso. And really the king was John Juan. Uh, not that that means anything to you. I'm just throwing it out there for the few people that it means anything to. And the Shevet Yehuda is, like I say, a golden oldie and a real classic, a real classic. And it's organized into chapters. No, it's organized into Shmads. Hashmad HaRishon, Hashmad HaShenit, Hashmad HaShlishi, HaRvi, HaChemishi, and so forth. And the eighth Shmad is, as he calls it over here, Alil Hasdom Bisman Alfonso. That a certain blood libel, you know, where they accused Jews of killing a Christian for the blood and all that, 
uh, which I don't have to tell you is beyond ridiculous. But anyway, it happened during the time of King Alfonso. And that's not, like I say, wasn't Alfonso, but who cares? And his conversation with the leaders of the Jews. So here's how the story goes. Okay? Here's how the story goes. And this is what I'll be devoting today's talk about, which is being sponsored by Eric, Eric Smith. And it goes like this. Bashan Arvius, the Melch Agodal Alfonso Misforab, in the fourth year of Alfonso the Great, come be Irisigab, Three guys popped up, Goyim, Anshechamas, violent men, and they threw a dead body into a Jewish house so they can claim that he killed him for blood libel. And he went to the local magistrates in the town of Isiga in northern Spain. They found a killed Christian in the house of a Jew. Uh, so the magistrate and the uh, you know the uh, police inspectors came to the Jewish house. and the Jew said, I can swear by God that I didn't kill him, but so I It's all a plot of, the, of my enemies to, to, to cast me down. But and they threw the Jew in jail. It was just before um, Pascha with Easter. Which the Jews call Pesach, it's Easter. So, in other words, anyway, the Christians are all hot to avenge Jesus and so forth. You know, that's the time of the crucifixion. And they say the Jews did it. And so, rumors that the Jews are killing Christians spread throughout the town. And so, you attack the Jewish quarter. So, here you have, like I say, a Perche story. Seder night, the Jewish quarter is attacked. And they killed all the Jews they could find, and some fled to uh, some nobleman's house who, where they could hide. And these people lived, and the ones I'm talking about who ran away to houses of Christian friends, or more accurately, Christian nobles, who favored them for money reasons, uh, economic reasons, those people had to hide the whole Pesach, and it says, and they like fasted because they couldn't eat anything with chametz. That's how it was. And it spread to a nearby town. And so the Jews, in general, in the area, and this is in in Castile, in the central kingdom of northern Spain, in the uh, 1400s, uh, they immediately freaked out, and they sent Shluchim to the royal court, to the king's court, so the king should stop it. Three leading Jews came there, and they were Don Avram ben Venisti, the one I'm talking about, and Don Yosef Hanasi, and Rav Shmuel ben Shoshan. The bad guys, right, the killers, when they heard that the Jews are sending three delegates to the royal court, they chased after him to overtake them and murder them. And naturally they were afraid. And they had to hide in a forest for a whole day. As a result, the bad guys got to the royal court first, to the king. And they cried, you know, um, to him saying the Jews have murdered Christians and uh, they found a dead body and so forth and so on. Now, according to this story, the king was very righteous. 
אמר המלך, זה לי יומן שידעת מחשבתכם, סיבריכם שלהם, אשר תבקש להבאון על ידיו. I know for a long time already, the king says, your evil thoughts and your lies and falsehoods, your ziyaf, that you're trying to throw on this poor people and the Jews. And I know the whole Alil Islam is bull. Right? The whole thing is bull. The whole sheker. There's no such thing like that with the Jews, killing Christians for blood. And you're coming to me with this old junk today? I'm an honest king. I can't stand this junk. The only excuse you can have for even making this charge is you're stupid. This is the king talking. Leave me today, come back tomorrow. I will demonstrate what a bunch of liars you are. Your, your, your shame. Isn't that interesting that the king would say that the king of Castile, according to this story, I'm not saying it exactly happened this way, but this is a very well-known, very famous tale that Jews, our ancestors, including Rosh Hashim, everybody have known. Because it's a book everybody read. So the Christians who tried to Messiah with Jews who instigated the pogroms went away, Pachanefesh, all disappointed. And the next day, the Jewish delegates who escaped the murder uh, plot against them by hiding in the forest, they showed up at the royal court. And they approached the king and he said, What are your names? And they wrote down the names as part of the royal protocol. And of the three, the one who will be the spokesman was not our hero, interestingly, according to this story, but Don Yosef HaNasi, because he was also um, very educated in Limur Echol, and he knew Spanish and stuff like that. And everybody, the king and the, and the, and, and the uh, officers in the court, liked the way he spoke and his arguments. And here's how the story goes, according to this. Amra Melech, Allah I'm very happy to see what hear what you say. Anybody's coming on a mission of truth, and I know that you're coming on a mission of truth, because I know the Holy was done with a bunch of bull. So anything has Dabramis has Naimus and Chain. But still, I want to ask the following. I just want to ask you. If you see somebody, even if you hold that he's an honest person, but you find that there's a stolen article in his house, doesn't that prove that he's a ganav? So the Jews responded. No, you're right. Yeah, agreed. If he find if you find the stolen article in his house and so forth and so on, you know, Biyodogneva, then 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 he is. Amra Melach, the king said, Tishmaz Nechem, Yehudin Imsabesa Rashus Notri Harug, they found a dead Christian in the house. Right? Nimsabesa Rashusa Notri Harug, they found in his house in his Rashus a dead Christian. So what do I do? Do I believe the fact you tell me tell me was an honest guy? Or do I follow my lying eyes? Hashiva Shluchim said the Jews responded, It's not the same thing. We thought you're talking about a guy that there were eight him that he stole something. Okay? But there's a difference between that 
and somebody in whose house has found something stolen article, maybe somebody threw it in there and he didn't steal it. Notice that's an obvious chiluk. The king said, that's a good answer. And anyway, I know it's not true. Because I know the Jews don't really do the Aliyah But let's be honest, and cut the baloney, you Jews are guilty of many other things. And it is really because of your sins and your social faults that the we gaim hate you, that they come every day against you. So the Jews said, "What are our what are our faults, right?" We're willing to take constructive criticism, like our father would say to his son. You know, now what 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 are we doing wrong? And here comes a remarkable conversation. The king says, "No, to lochem ki bosom artsena rumba evim." We all know. No, let's cut the let's cut the, the PC. We all know when you Jews first came to Spain, arum rem you were naked and starving. No, you came poor. Vanotim kibleschem ba'avo, and we took you in. Vatem shilamtem ro tachestova, and you repaid us with bed. Dibayar ribis akachtem esnafschem b'shorim b'karm, and you start charging ribis, and as a result, you own everything. You took away everybody's land and their cattle and everything. So as we took you in, and then you used the economic system to screw us. Shainis, second of all, if you coming in as refugees, and you're avodim, right, and you're Jewish, and you're in Golis, Golim, meaning you should act humble. How come you dress fancier than anybody else? Why is there any Jew, no matter the schnook, you know, buys million-dollar clothing? Is it just because you want to provoke Kinnabasinah? Right? Didn't I give a command that Jews should not wear silk because it'll get the guy angry? I did it for your own sake. It'll get the guy angry that you're dressing fancier than them. It's nonsense, but you always say like this. When I make an order that the Jews should not, you know, do something, you don't listen, and instead you say, you always tell, look, your majesty, you know, we Jews are uh, non-listeners. We are, it's a national, it's a, it's an ethnic fault of ours. We didn't even listen to God. Read the Chumash. So how can you listen to the king? You're going too far on this, guys. Believe me, umberly, and I think, I think that all the tsaras that you suffered doesn't make you think. And let me warn you, if I throw you out, and this is written up 100 years before the 1492, if I throw you out, I'll be a lolog. Believe me, guys, if you get expelled from Spain, you're not going to leave like you left Egypt. You're going to leave be a lolog. And the king is talking. He says, I'm very wonder. In other words, I wonder, you know, what's in your heart? What's in your mind? What are the Jews thinking? I see that the style of the Jews is you're born rich and you die poor, meaning they mismanage the money or they get the guy angry at them and lose the money through a pogrom or something like that. So it's a funny way the Jews are. They start life rich and end up poor. By you guys, the mazel starts at the top and ends at the bottom, meaning, you, like I say, you go from good fortune to bad fortune. But we Christians, the other way around. We start at the bottom and work our way up. 
if you ever look at a, at a Christian baby when he's born, and when he, he's a baby, he wears rags like you, you know, tie around the baby. But by the time he's old, he's wearing good clothes, and it was you, it's the other way around. And you never ask yourselves why that happens. Shlishes, what's, what's with you? Why are you so stupid that when you have like a bris, or as we would say in America today, a bar mitzvah or a Pesach hotel, you walk on the streets, dress to the nines. You, you, you dress like your dukes and princes, like skan. You know you're walking the streets. All the Spanish Christians are looking at you. Colors, they're, they're going crazy. You know, you, you, in other words, that Jew is wearing clothes that I could never afford. And you never thought about your own people. Meaning, one, not all Jews do this. Not all Jews, that's the point. But the richy riches do. Why don't you think that this is causing anti-Semitism for the rest of your people? Why is it tone of the Sayamkim? Your people like a lost sheep. So the rich don't think about the effects of their, um, what should I say, luxurious lifestyle or, or in terms of anti Semitism on their poor fellow Jews. Revius, Himatem, Sodimagoy, if you ever see a Jew uh, uh, sitting down to eat with a guy, Tadikha Kosabishanagaba, you always wash the cup because there's wine, you know, wash the cup, um, which in the Middle Ages means you're dirty. Now, today, everybody does it, but I'm saying at that time, you didn't. He said, what, and, and the Christians say, what kind of a king do we have that allows a people like this in, to enter our kingdom? And they consider us to be Tommy, they have to wash the cups. Why are you always going around singing Spanish songs like, you know, life is good for you? Uh, really, you should be in Gaulus, and he should act appropriately, right? Now, he's not wrong about that, because if you want to go strictly speaking, strictly, strictly speaking, you know, by the Shulchan Aruch, uh, what do they say? Lo yamali schok, you know, you can't even smile when the base image is, is in bad shape. So why are you doing the opposite? Okay, lepsech, I get in tag. Hayem, chayem, cholimechem, b'chia ha'esped. Kehechris aleichem el heyesh shamayi shatem roshoyim. Obviously, God in heaven has decided you're wicked, Pizer, so that's why he scattered you. He hasn't treated you the way he's treated all the other nations. So why are you going around happy and singing and this and that? It gets us angry. We Christians. Shishis. Why do you teach your kids um, sword fighting? Okay? Like today, in the phone communities, a lot of people have, you know, go to gun training, you know, to, to the... To, to, to the um, you know, went to a gun tree, you know, to the gun uh, shooting sites. He said, Why do you treat your kids sword fighting? Why is it you need no sword fighting? And I tell you, you don't go in the army. Doesn't it give the impression that you want to learn how to use a sword so you can kill a Christian? If you realize what danger you're always in, and you're a minority in Gullis, you wouldn't do such things. All this shows you that you all lack uh, common sense and any kind of sensitivity. Okay? Now, if my people do it, that's a different story. If Christians act this way, 
Since we rule the country, so we can sing, we can play with 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 uh, swords, and we can uh, you know walk around fancy. It's our country. And you see that we in Spain are constantly winning wars and expanding. So God obviously is on our side. What are you going to say? You picked up sword fighting and excessive clothes from the Goyim. How come you learn all the bad things from us and you never learn any good things from us? Like the guy said last week, what I read, you know, Alami, uh, why don't you imitate the fact that in a church no one talks during davening? You know, so, you know, things like that. Only the bad stuff you learn from us. I'm telling you this because I'm speaking to you as a friend, not as an enemy, right? I can't be your enemy because as a Christian, I say to myself the following. Obviously, God in heaven chose the Jews with Abraham and all that. Obviously, God in heaven knew the bad qualities of the Jews. If for some strange reason, if he knows what bad qualities you Jews have, and in spite of that, God still loves you, and how can I be different? I'm telling you these criticisms for your own good. Isn't this a remarkable passage? I don't believe this actually happened. No king talked to my guy, but I could be wrong, right? Or maybe some Spanish prime minister. I mean, you know, I could be wrong. What did the Jews answer? Right? What did the Jews answer? We heard what you said, and we know you're good. And we know you're giving us tochacha in the right way. Notice, you don't mean it for bad. If you give us permission, we can we can uh, explain at least partially what we do wrong. So the king said, Please do answer. But my point wasn't to you know diss you or anything like that. But as a matter of fact, look what covenant I'm giving you, even taking the time to speak to you. So the Jew said, of all the problems that we Jews have, you skip the biggest one, which is, we're helpless. We have nobody who defends us other than even when something is clearly good, they come and only emphasize the bad. And what you just said, oh, Your Majesty, is a proof of that. Now let's address what you said one by one. What's the story with ribbis? Long ago, Jews did this. But the king prohibited the Jews taking ribbis, and these would be the um, the church laws of uh, 1408. So he said, after the Jews after they prohibited taking uh, the Council of Valentine, I think it was called, uh, Asad Ribis, so we don't do it anymore. Except when the king declares an exception because he needs it for the economy. In other words, you attack us and prohibit the Ribis, but then you come back and say, well, we're making an exception because you know and I know, you listeners to the podcast, without some kind of interest, uh, the economy won't work because nobody will lend money. That's why we have the heterisca stuff.
Levad Mishloshah Hadashim Adayom, Asheikh Rehubal Karchen Lassem Ribis. That's, you know, for the last three months you told us to give to Ribis. Kilo Yucho Lachish Lazoim Loyicha Ribis. Because the farmers need credit and the farmers need to borrow money in order to plow and to sow. And uh, when we, you know, in other words, when we mentioned this, and we came to the king's uh, court, when we came to discuss it with the king, you didn't want to talk to us directly. And I want you to know that um, we spoke to the prime minister, the Maora, and he told us, the fact that now these last three months you're charging ribbons is not your problem. Because the whole reason for prohibiting interest usury is to help the Christians. But the Christians themselves are now moes that toelas. That is to say, the farmers, for example, are saying this is impossible. The, the prohibition of interest is actually hurting us. Then if the Jews lend on interest, it's not the Jews' problem. Just make sure, the Prime Minister said, that you don't overcharge like Shylock rates. You know what I mean? 90% an hour, that kind of thing. So we, so we don't overcharge in terms of interest. We have a fair rate of interest. What are we supposed to say when you say Jews are thieves? It's like a mice. One mouse stole the cheese, and therefore you say all the mice stole the cheese. In other words, one Jew is a ganav. That happens. And now as a result, you say all the Jews are ganavs. You know, we know, your majesty, that every group has good people and bad people. But they blame it all on, on the whole people. Are you telling me the Christians don't have any ganavim on them? Right? You have thieves and robbers too. And even though you just told us before that we should learn from the good qualities of the Christians and you have many good qualities, all the rest of it, and so it sounds like they're all law-abiding people, how come every day in the marketplace we see on the gallows they're hanging new thieves, which are Christians, you see? Or rather, since you rule the country, that covers a lot of faults. You get away with it. So in other words, really, really, and this is very modern, the, the, the true way of understanding things is through the lenses of helplessness or not helpless. Those are helpless, gallus as he calls it, a small fault the size of a mustard seed is is expanded to the size of the sun. So one Jew robs, all the Jews are criminals. But when you have the other way around, when you're ruling the country, you're not helpless, even if there's a lot of thieves, because you see every day they're hanging them, but it looks small. You say it's a small, unrepresented minority. Because you have the power to say that. We don't. And if you say we're overdressing, we're wearing silk and things like this, once you pass that law, Right? All, you won't find Jews wearing uh, silk. I mean, we lobbyists are different. Even you admit that if you're coming to court to speak. 
Really, we should have the right to dress up fancy. But you see, we don't. We wear black clothes that are not expensive. So you can't say that the Jews overdress. Call me Shalcha When they said that one guy in the court, in the royal court said, not true, this Christian said. Look at the Jewish women. They're dressed up to the nines. They wear silk and fancy garments and gold rings and gold jewelry. The Jews answered with a shtick. Wait a minute. The royal order was no Jewish man should wear fancy clothes. You never said no Jewish woman. That's how it said. So they got legalistic. And we figured that the government must mean that it's prohibiting expensive clothing on the men and not on the women. After all, people respect women. Every country gives Rishus and Kabbalah Noshim. That's bogus. But, you know, this is what they answered according to the story. Amr Melech, the king said, that's why you Jews look weird. The husband is underdressed and the wife is overdressed. That's why you see a Jewish couple in the street, says the king, and the husband looks like the uh, the donkey of a coal uh, miner, and the, the the Jewish wife looks like the Pope's, uh, you know, uh, uh, stallion, meaning she's dressed very fancy, he's dressed the opposite. It looks weird. And when he says, why you Jews all hang together, what are we going to say? Chesed. Our religion places a you know a, a, a great emphasis on Chesed. And since we're such a helpless and low people, without depending on each other and helping each other, how can we survive? What about the singing that you're complaining about? Show me out there, the Jew said, who is not influenced by his neighbors. So our young Jews, our young uh, Jewish uh, uh, men, you know, teens, as we say today, excuse me, our teenagers and stuff, they listen to the latest songs that are being sung on the street and in the neighbors and in the bar and everywhere, and they pick it up and copy it. And we try to stop them, and they don't listen. And they don't have enough tavuna, they don't have enough sense, these young Jewish teenagers, to refrain from this. Hesha Melch, the king, responded according to the story. Yesh bedrechem taina. All right, yeah, that's a good answer. Meaning, I I hear your response. You know, that doesn't mean the king accepts it, because he's a Christian, they're Jewish, but I hear. I hear the vart, like they say. Fiat alter gezus. And now, don't worry. You can rest easily in your houses. Notice, go back to your hotel. Come tomorrow. And you'll see tomorrow things will look more like. Right? In the morning, they came to the king, and the king said, The king, in other words, called in all the parties, the Jews and the Christian accusers, who had launched the pogroms, and the king said, 
I'm going to send, as we say today, an inspector general to find out what exactly happened. Amra Tobim, right? So the Christians from the town of Essica, who had carried this whole thing out, they said, wait a minute. We brought documentation from our hometown that the local police investigated the matter and came to the conclusion that the Jew killed the Christian. Right? Amr HaMishnah, the king's prime minister, said, uh, now really, Prime Minister Alvaro de Luna elected you, but like I said, I'm just going with the story here. The king's prime minister said, Here's what we'll do. Let's bring the accused Jew from this town, the Jew in whose house was found the dead body, and let's get a confession by torturing him. Let's give him some torture, and he'll tell the truth. The Jew said, Torture? That's baloney. If it'll be emes as a result of torture, the Jew will say anything under torture. He'll say he killed the guy and he drank his blood. And Jews are anyway weak and, uh, you know, what's the right word? Delicate. A little bit of torture will get you to say anything. Amr Melch, the king said, Lo tap right? Uh, don't worry about this. Lo tap you won't lose from this. I swear by my God. So in this story, the king says, I will not submit any Jew to, I will not submit any Jew to torture and use that information in court. And I've adopted this enlightened policy. And remember, in those days in the Middle Ages, torture was a basic part of judicial process. Um, Matter of fact, even the Jews did it a little bit in the Jews who'd have been a rush. But anyway, uh, I adopted this enlightened policy, says the king in this story, from an incident that happened at the beginning of my reign. Two golden spoons were missing, were stolen. And among the people in the court who had access to the, to the spoons if they wanted to were two Jews. Nikram Yehuda al Nakawa and Shmuel Nakawa, and all my members of my court, my royal court, said, If anything was stolen, naturally the Jews stole because the Jews are a bunch of pickpockets. That's who they are. And I was new on the throne. Therefore, I subjected the Jews to torture. As soon as we started torturing them, they admitted that they stole the golden spoons. But Talisiusim, and I hanged them. But then, three days after I hanged those two Jews, they found the two spoons, and one of my own men, Christians, had stolen it. Why did the Jews confess? Because obviously, Kanira, it seems that they said like this they're going to torture the hell out of us. Might as well die quickly right now. Right? They, they preferred a sudden death than a long one. Right? You know, you hear that. But from here I learned that torture, especially with Jews, is not an accurate reflection of what of real evidence. One of the men in the court said, Your Majesty, Your Majesty, 
There was a time in history when torture was prohibited. No one was judged in a court based on torture. And he brought an old history book. Because HaMelech and the king was now angry, why didn't you tell me that at the beginning of my reign, that there was an old president that you never used torture, when I falsely hanged those two guys? Nobody could tell me this, right? Nobody can find out the real truth except a gibor shabagiborim, that which is mightier than anything else. That which is mightier than anything else can tell us the truth. Umehu, who are you referring to? Who is mightier than anyone else? The king said, Imratem, you tell me who's mightier than anyone else. Armuhem, so the Jews or the Christians, I'm not sure, said, This question of who's mightier than anyone else is written in the old philosophy books. Some people said it's woman is mightier than anyone else because she can take down the man, like Adam Marishan and Shlomo Melch and all that. And they asked a flock of Plato, the women rule the world. That was one opinion among the ancients. That's Gibor Shigaburim, the female. And some say booze, right? Wine. Wine took Noach down. Some say it's the king, because the king can do anything. Some say it's the king, right? <laughs> so the king says, you're all wrong. You know who's the Gibor Shigaburim? Guilt. <laughs> Mumman. Money, that's the Gibbus Shagabarim. Yosemu Hamam and Kinnakikinnasam Lachim, Vesinikisinosam, it is Kokiridosam. There's nothing like the king's jealousy, his anger, his, his redifa, and Simcha Nosam, there's nothing like the king's feeling of joy when he went to victory. Vial Kalela, in spite of that, Imitin Melch Mumman, Yasalat Mokham to Malevo. A king will do anything for money. Give him the right amount of money, he'll stop being angry at somebody, he'll stop taking revenge. It's all a matter of guilt. Everything is nispasha, comes to terms with money. See, here's what we're going to do. Here's how I'm going to get to the bottom of this story about whether or not this uh, dead body was actually killed by the Jew. Put out a public announcement. Throughout the kingdom, anybody brings Adis. On this subject, we'll give him like a thousand dollars or something. And he won't have to pay taxes for a year or something. But and that'll bring that'll bring it out. No, just just make it important guilt, and then you'll find out the truth. So that's what they did. Immediately they dispatched heralds to announce throughout the kingdom this thing. Three days later, an eighteen-year-old guy showed up, and he said. I fear the Lord. Yeah, right. And he wants to he wants to bucks. He says, I fear the Lord, I'll tell the truth. Yeah, I swear by God. Maybe it's true you fear God. God you have fear of, money you have love of. And more. If you tell the truth, you'll get a lot of bucks. Amr to the guy, the eighteen year old says, Mesharis Ladoni Hanikra Juan Delaverani. I am the servant of some guy named Juan, uh, or Juan in Catalonia, Juan de la Vera. And my boss, Juan de la Vera, had a big argument with this Jew 
in whose house was found the dead body. Because the Jew took his his house away from some kind of ribbit situation long ago. And one night, my boss, the guy, said to me, If you kill this Jewish chazer, I'll give you fancy clothes and 20, uh, you know, the blue, 20 big bucks. Amarty, I said to my boss, I'm too young, I don't know this kind of business. You get an older guy, I'm not good at murder. You need an older guy who's better at murder. I was reaching my mouth, and the guy's talking. He said, Then I saw my boss, um, called six of his neighbors and when his six Christian neighbors came to my boss's house he told me to leave the room so naturally I said hmm it's interesting so he listened through the peephole get it to the keyhole and I overheard the conversation and my boss said to the Christian neighbors these Jews who killed our savior Really, we can kill him. It's true that the kings protect them because of financial reasons. But today's Easter, when, uh, I'm sorry, but still today, a certain Christian in town died and was buried. And the cemetery is not far away. Let's pick up the dead body out of the grave, and throw it in the Jews' house, and everybody will rise against them, and you and I will split the profits we make from the dead Jews, from their property. The neighbors say, but they'll see that the, that the grave is empty. Right? So like a hole in the ground, when we dig them up. There's a big stone nearby, you can stick it in the grave and cover it up with dirt, and nobody will know, it'll look like the the stone will look like the kever underneath the dirt. And they stayed up late, and I went to sleep, and that's all I know. So the king summoned the boss, Juan de la What this guy, what my sermon, my former employee said, doesn't count because he resents me over wages. The king said, you're right. I don't have to rely on the words of the Nar. Let's check out the grave. If there's a stone inside the grave, that'll prove it, that you're the one who did it. Sure enough, the found in the grave in that town of Eshika, that it was a big stone. So it proved that the Jew didn't do it. And so the the Boss, the Christian guy said, "Yes, the Jew put the stone in there, not me." You're telling me that what happened was that the Jew took out from the grave a dead body and then replaced it with a stone, and he brought the dead body to his house for the purpose of using the blood for matzah or whatever. We all know the king said. So once you're dead, there's no blood that flows. You can't, you know, it's not like you, 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 you know, you, you prick them and, and the blood will come spurting out. It won't happen. Meaning it's clear that they only do, if it's ever done, it's only done to live people, not to a dead person. 
So obviously you're a liar. And two other people showed up and said, because remember there was a reward for giving evidence. They said, you know, we saw that this guy, this guy, Juan de la Vera, was dragging a body through the street middle of the night. We had no idea who it was. So the king then said to his police officers, I'm going to give a moment. I told you the most powerful thing in the world is guilt. And because they offered, now we found out what really happened. Praise the Lord who revealed the truth. Siva Hamelach, the king gave orders. Sheik Juan de la Vera Brosho. Here's how they punished him. They like in the mafia movies, you know. They buried the guy up to his head. Kaha, Vianikumashamus. And he stayed there, buried up to his head, and there was his head sticking out of the ground, but he can't move beyond that. Until he died. And the king ordered that all the neighbors who participated in it were hanged. But Eris Yarvashakta and the whole country turned quiet. No, that was the end of the pogroms. That is what they call in Jewish history a happy ending to a story. It was a gross story. So, who are the heroes? Don Yosef and Nasi, and Rabbi and Avram ben Benisti, which goes to, to show you at least in the Jewish popular imagination. And I'll repeat what I said before it is possible that this story happened, if not exactly this way, but some, something like this. And there seem to be some records that Avram ben Benisti, uh, this famous court Jew, prevented in the Lilas Dam in Eshika. You know, I don't know if it happened exactly this way or something like that, but, but you know, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. And I'll call this an introduction to the subject of the court Jews in the 15th century. The few that were there, there wasn't very common. And the efforts that they undertook to try to prevent the events of 1391 to 1421 to continue and perhaps even more important, to try to rebuild the broken pieces after the Holocaust of 1391. In other words, Humpty Dumpty fell apart. Maybe it's taka possible to put it together again, at least to some degree. But that is something I'll save for the next time. So now you know a famous story. It's one of like 50 famous story from the Shev Yehuda. Uh, and uh, all right, we'll, we'll pick up next time. Again, I want to thank um, Eric, Eric Smith in uh, Iowa, and, uh, and we'll see. Hopefully the people will step forward for the for the rest of the week, and with that, I wish you all a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.